Welcome to The Way Things Go There, a podcast about quotes from books and how we can apply them to real life. I'm Tiff Cohen. We're on to part two of South to America by Imani Perry. If you didn't catch part one, eh, you don't need to <laughs> in order to understand what's going on here. Essentially, Imani Perry um, delves into her genealogy of where she came from and how people in her ancestral line have lived and how the South really is the founding of America and how a lot of the practices and beliefs and ideologies that were started in the South kind of are still around today and how they shaped America. This is from the Pearls Before Swine chapter if you are following along in the book. At the airport, leaving Nashville, I had a taste for something sweet. I stood in front of the vending machine trying to find a treat that was both satisfying and not too bad for me. Ridiculous, I know. To my left, a white man hovered. He was pale and small with a drawn face. He had a cap on and a dark blue uniform that hung on him, leaving his breeches puddling over his work boots and a set of keys jangling at his hip. Oh, I'm sorry, I said, as I stepped back, realizing he was waiting to fill up the machine. No, you can go on and get you something. He smiled a sweet smile with a few missing teeth. His eyes crinkled. I assumed he knew what it was to have a hankering for sweets. Thank you, I'll be quick. I selected a honey bun, huge and covered in frosting. We nodded at each other once again, and quickly I walked on. Whatever it is that I'm saying about the South as America includes that, too. Were I to do an assessment based on that man's demographics, the odds are he wouldn't feel so warmly about me. He might look at my life and think, where's my affirmative action? He might bitterly think that the wages of whiteness didn't do him much good, while the remediation of them did me a lot of good. We were in roles that to a certain extent were a reversal of the promises of a place from its of the place from its beginning and the odds are pretty good that i would be irked by the things that he thought about the world but the softness with which we could speak to one another is something not that we would in all circumstances we could spit words he could threaten and terrorize me i could lord the fact that the whiteness failed to give him something over me sneer about it with my designer shoes and Ivy League pedigree. Ask any black student at Princeton, or black students at any peer institution the same, and the odds are quite good that the celebration of their admission was diminished by a claim of unearned benefit. Affirmative action is said with a sneer. It is a straw man of the right wing. Because of course college admissions are not an exercise in fairness, no matter what the brochures claim. They are a product of all sorts of inequality. It is not as though labor and talent are inconsequential. It is just that they don't count for nearly as much as opportunity. But let's stay for a moment with the potential complaint of the man who was working the vending machine while I was flying back from teaching a class at Vanderbilt to my regular life as a faculty member at Princeton because the fact is that he does have a meaningful claim against the nation. 
The problem is that the claim is misdirected when it comes to me. W.E. Du Bois taught us this, and we teach it to our students. Whiteness has offered us a promise. Precarity makes it less sturdy. There are white people who work hard all of their lives, and whiteness gives them little materially. On the other hand, there are white people who come from powerful edifices who can point to paintings on Vanderbilt's or Princeton's walls and see their genealogies. Individuals like me, the descendants of those who clean the toilets who happen to make their way into the classrooms, are distorted images of some remarkable transformation. But in truth, we are the exception that solidifies the rule. Today's background music was provided by Alexander Nakarada. He is a Norwegian composer, and this track is called Secret Garden. I was drawn to it because I absolutely love the movie The Secret Garden, really honestly, and it is beautiful. So you can find him in the link in the show notes. So the excerpt today, I was drawn to sharing this one because of a conversation my husband and I recently had. I don't, I'm not sure why I've been thinking about it. Uh, you know, you just think about things. <laughs> uh, I have friends who I would say are stereotypically much more successful than me. Like society would look at them and be like, whoa, they're super, super successful. Whereas they would look at me and be like, oh, what are you doing all day? <laughs> and the people who are my friends, I respect that they have earned the position that they are in, that they work hard, and that they deserve every bit of success that they have. But there are people who are in similar situations that I don't know quite as well. And I admit that I usually look at their gifts, what they were gifted, what we'll call privilege, um, status in the world. It's very, it's a lot easier to be successful when the industry that you are successful in as an adult was gifted to you and built by your parents or your, your family members. And then you were groomed in that specific field. And then now you are great at what you do because it's all you know, right? You didn't have to seek out this trade or this skill. The skill was given to you. It was gifted to you. And a lot of times I think people who are in the situation are like, oh, I don't want to do this. I want to do my own thing. Or they want to be like, yeah, I want to do this thing. I love this thing. This is the, the thing that I love and know, but I don't want people to think I didn't work for this because it is a family business or because I was gifted this opportunity. And we all know that a large part of success is not necessarily what you know, but who you know, because maybe it's not family. Maybe it's a longtime friend who was gifted something or got lucky and then put the hard work in, and then they brought you along with them. There are a lot of circumstances where that happens. However, the situations that are like that for white people versus people of color, 
um, it's not balanced, not even close. And so I think sometimes, a lot of times, maybe all the time, I get angry that that is how our world works. Our world says, you are born person of color, and so we are going to put you in this status. And if you want to have a different sort of sort of status, you're going to have to work your ass off and make those connections on your own and make the opportunities for yourself. And then when you make it, we're going to say that it's affirmative action. You only got in here because they had to invite you. However, if you were one of the lucky ones who was born into a situation and gifted all of these opportunities and skills and, and businesses and knowledge, no one's going to say, well, you were, you inherited those skills. You inherited your position that you don't belong here. It's confusing, right? Why is it that if someone works their ass off to get to a point where affirmative action may help them access an opportunity they wouldn't have otherwise. Why is that frowned upon? Yet someone who was born into a family of a certain status gets that same opportunity simply because their uncle's or grandfather's name is on the building. You would think it would be the other way around, that the person who is gifted this opportunity would have less praise than this person who built themselves from nothing. With that being said, do I give everyone the benefit of the doubt? Do I say, well, yeah, they were gifted this million dollar company by their parents. That doesn't make them a horrible person. But <laughs> in this, I feel like if you are gifted uh, an opportunity, especially by family, that you should be taking your status and opportunity to help those who weren't as lucky as you. And of course, I'm not going to know what everyone's doing behind the scenes. But I think if you are, are put into a situation where you have very little to worry about, that you are making it known and making a monumental effort to help others. But I think the America that we live in doesn't do that. The America we live in is me and mine versus you and yours. A main argument to what I'm saying is going to be, well, it's not my fault that my ancestors worked harder and were able to gift me these opportunities. Why should I have to suffer to help someone else? But helping those who are marginalized does not torture those who are privileged. The automatic response is, well, if I help someone else, then I must suffer. If you are running a multi-million dollar business and you aren't able to either hire people that maybe aren't in your sphere of influence, then there's something going on here. There's another motive behind not wanting to step out of your circle of comfort um, to not help those who aren't like you have access to what you have. There is a hoarding of power. There is this unfairness that continues to grow and continues to be inherited by families because they are just, it, 
they want so much and we can survive on so little uh, the people who are fighting for their lives to to have the opportunity are examples um if we weren't able to survive on so little then marginalized communities would be extinct but we've been fighting for our lives for hundreds of years now and we're still here and why should we just be surviving when we can be thriving like those who were born into the gifts so that's that's what today's episode's about i encourage you to go there when someone says well i work hard for everything i have no one's saying you aren't what we're saying is how did you get that opportunity and don't feel shame don't be shameful of that opportunity myself included i was born into a lot of opportunity and a lot of privilege and i do my best to give back as much as possible if i die tomorrow and someone said she was always trying to give to others she was always trying to promote other people who were, were wanting to do their own thing and teaching people based off of her mistakes great i'd rather them say that than say she was so successful she had so much money she left her kids so much opportunity much rather be the person who helps other people have access to opportunity than than having my my tiny little group of people with opportunity and watching the rest of the world suffer when there's plenty for everyone so go there Use the things that I've offered you today. Pick up Imani Perry's Self to America. Read this chapter, read the whole thing. She really does. And again, that music that we shared today um, is in the show notes by Alexander Nakarada from Norway. I like it. There's a few other things there too that you can, you can listen to and support him there. Thanks again for listening to The Way Things Go There. I'm Tiff Cohen, and don't forget to have hope.